The freedom that we have in Jesus Christ isn't free. He died to provide it for us. And there was a cost. Now, there's not a cost to you or me, but there was a cost to him and a cost to our Father. And we are grateful. We are getting ready to finish today the series we've been in for the last few weeks. Nice picture of our church building. There it is. Yeah. Turn the lights down. You can do that just so we can see. It's not a bad picture, really. There you go. Yeah. That's, uh, I love the, the landscaping. We want to finish that all off, as a matter of fact, this, uh, this summer before fall. But building's looking really, really good. So those who designed it and worked on the building, thank you very, very much. Long time ago. But good building. However, that's the building. You want to see the church, you've got to turn around and look at each other. See, I'm looking at the church. You're looking at the pastor, okay? I'm looking at the church because this is the church. That's the building, all right? There you go. So keep that in mind. Now, the question is that, that, well, the, that building came here in what was in 1977. Remember, you guys were down. The building used to be on what market and winter. Is that it? Okay. There's a, the building still there. You can drive past and go, hey, that was our old building. And they decided they'd been down there for a long, long time, even though we've been in the community for over 100 years, that they wanted to move out here. This is where all the young families were at the time and the early to mid-70s, this whole place is just covered with, with young families buying their first home because all these homes were brand new. You moved here, built a church pretty much through softball leagues and other things as these young families got all involved. Now it's 37 years later and the, young, the area is no longer young families. In fact, uh, it's changed dramatically over those 37 years. Of course, then again, so have you, haven't you? <laughs> okay, good. Just, you know, look around. Some of you can look and go, oh my, yeah, that's right. Okay, so the question, however, is, okay, what are, we, what are we doing here? Why are we still here? Why do we still have a purpose and all this other thing? There is, you always have to, to, to take a look at your life, your church, your organization, and, and find out and ask the question, is it still, is there still a good reason for you to be here? Maybe it's time to go away. Jesus knew his purpose and his mission and his vision. Here's what his purpose was. He knew why he came. The purpose of Jesus was to bring life to a dying world and to reconcile us to God. He knew that's why he came. Okay, that was his purpose. Based on that, he had a mission. What he was going to do about it, okay, to fulfill his purpose, here was his mission. This is what he was going to do. The mission was to reveal God and then give his life for us. In other words, he went around teaching, preaching, and he died. First thing he did was to teach and to preach and reveal God through that and reveal God through his life. Then he died for us because that was his mission in line with his purpose, okay? And his vision, there was something he wanted to see at the very end. This is what he wanted to happen at the very end, and it was this. That all people everywhere would come to know God. That was his vision. It still is his vision. His purpose was to come and to reveal God. And his mission, he did it through the preaching and the teaching, and he died. And he wants everybody to come to know the Lord. That's his purpose, his mission, and his vision. Do you have one in your own life? Hopefully in this series, you've, you've taken a little time, some time to go, okay, what is my purpose? And based on that, what is my mission? And what do I want to see happen by the time my life is done? What do I want to see? Purpose, mission, vision. Guess what? Our church has one of those. Because again, we ask this question, what are we doing here? Do we have a purpose, and a mission, and a vision. And yes, we do. Here they are. As a matter of fact, you could read it with me. Our purpose is, it's a long statement, but I know you can do it. Our our purpose, we believe our church exists to be a visible sign to our community, the living proof of the reality of God, who because of his great love is reaching out to everyone through his son, Jesus. In other words, our purpose, why are we here? We're on this corner right here to be able to say to this community, there is a God, and you know there is because we're here. 
right? Our mission, therefore, what are we trying to do? Well, here it is, our mission. With this in mind, we are striving to demonstrate lives clearly changed through a daily walk with God and to extend to our community God's gracious invitation to join with Him. Now, do you understand? Okay, our mission isn't to do lots of cute programs. You want that, you go to Boys and Girls Club. Go over to Family Building Block. They're program-centered. All they're there to do is do programs. It's wonderful. Our programs have a purpose. We do programs around here to be able to change people's lives because the mission isn't to do programs. The mission is to have changed lives, to demonstrate those changed lives. We want to be able... What we're doing is we're trying to show people, look, there's a difference when you walk with God, which then brings us to our vision. Read this with me. This is what we want to see happen. Ready? Read this. Our goal is to become a healthy family of people. Stop right there. Did you see the first thing we want to do in our, in our vision? Again, it has nothing to do with, with program. Our goal is to have five youth groups and three. It has nothing to do with that. Jesus already told us one time. He said that they'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Our vision is that this group right here would become so healthy and loving and caring. People can see the difference. Let's continue on. Strongly committed to God and each other, collectively reflecting a true picture of Jesus here on earth, welcoming and accepting all those who desire to join us on the journey. Remember the first couple of weeks we did this. I don't have it for you today, but you can get online and find it. We did that mosaic. You stand back and there's this picture of Jesus. But when you zoom in, it's made up of all the different people in that particular church. And then they all put it together to when you stand. And that's the way it should be. Now, of course, if, if I want to take any of your lives and examine it closely, probably won't be nearly as pretty. But that's okay. You do the same thing in my life. But, but when somebody stands back and, and they look at us all together, they go, you know, I see Jesus there. Look at that. That's the church. That's what we're trying to do. Now, to make it easy for you, there are four things that we do. And here's where you can just, hopefully you remember these by now. Ready? What are they? We know, we grow, we go, and we... There you go. See? that's a, The other ones are a little wordy. I understand that. But these are your easier ones to remember right here. Know, grow, go, and show. Let's expand on a little bit. First of all, we want to know God through Jesus Christ. We're into your sermon notes now. If you want to take those, grow in our love for God and each other and in the image of Jesus, and then go engage our community in the world. Now, let's just stop right there, because that's what we've done for the first, the last three weeks anyway. A few weeks ago, we focused on knowing God, but we know God through Jesus. This isn't just knowing about God. This is knowing Him, and you know Him in a personal relationship. You know Him through, um, through that invitation through Jesus Christ, to come to faith in him. Now, now we can know things. We know as we study. It's very important to do that. But there's no point in studying if you're not really going to know him. And then the second thing is, is we grow. Because what we realized a couple weeks ago was that, that knowing God was just the beginning. He wants so much more for us. And I don't mean he wants more cars and more money and more of these other things. Jesus died with nothing except very little clothes on his back. And you can probably expect the same and if you get anything more than wow you're doing better than the son of god our father isn't here to give you more clothes and more that's not what he wants when we say he wants more for us what we mean is he wants us to grow up he wants us to stop being spiritual infants just like those of you who are parents 
Right now, you may have an infant, and you just think it's so cute and so wonderful. And, but if it was still an infant 30 or 40 years from now, unless there was something medically wrong with it, in which case you would make allowance, it wouldn't be so wonderful. As a matter of fact, if you are a parent right now of an infant, you are doing everything you can to help that infant grow up. You're helping that infant learn how to be self-sufficient. Because that's what we want. We want our kids to grow up. Our Father wants us to grow up. Now, we'll never come to the point where we don't need Him. Always we will need Him. Always we will trust Him, like a child. But in my faith, in my understanding, in my strength, I need to grow up in Jesus Christ. That's what He wants for us. And then last week, what we talked about was going. Okay, that's why we don't have a lot of stuff here in the church. We don't do a lot of things in the middle of the week. We're not saying to you, we want you here every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, Thursday, all day Saturday. We used to do that kind of thing. But... That's not why we're here, because a ship in the harbor is safe, but do you remember? That's not what ships are for. And a believer and a Christian sitting in the church like this, with the church, in this building, they're safe. But you weren't created to sit here. You were created to get fed here. You were created, somebody put it the last week at the very end, they came up and said, you know why ships come back in the harbor to get refueled, replenished, and they go back out. Well, guess that's why we're here. We're supposed to get refueled and replenished and celebrate and worship and out we go again. We go. That's why I want you to be the coach of your kids' little league team. And I want you in bowling leagues. And I want you in knitting circles. I want you in anywhere that you can get out there. Get out there. Shine for Jesus Christ. By the way, we have an opportunity coming up very, very soon. As a matter of fact, this next fall, we are going to start this right here. It's called Season of Serving. This has been in the works for uh, the last few months. The staff got together. We're going to be doing more planning for it this week. Season of serving means beginning in September, we're going to start preaching on the whole idea of serving, going out there and serving the community. We're going to plan family missions trips in the early part of November, first couple of weeks. Now, what we mean by family missions trip is we mean family. We mean all the way from the little kids to the senior adults. We're not going far. We don't have to go far. There are some smaller churches in our conference. Some of our our churches that struggle. They're wonderful churches with great pastors, but they struggle. We are going to show up on those weekends. We're going to bless their little socks off. I'm going to show up with 30 or 40 people who are willing to do anything they want. Teach a class, paint a wall, go out in the community, anything that they want. We're going to train you to do that in the month of September and October. There'll be special classes. Then in November, we're going to go to these churches. We're going to show up. We're going to go there with money. And help them and bless them. And by the time we walk away, that church will... And matter of fact, you get to spend the night at the church if you want to. We'll set it up for you. We're going to worship with them on a Sunday morning. That means there won't be a lot of people here on a Sunday morning those couple of Sundays. Fine. Good. Go. That's what you should be doing. We're already working out some of the churches. We're talking to the Falls City Church. We're talking to the church at Willamina. Great churches. Great little... They're making a huge impact in their community. And you are going to get the opportunity to go... And serve the Lord right there. It's going to be exciting stuff. So look for it. The season of serving, you'll be hearing more and more and more about that. Now, today we finish it all up with this, which is show. Okay. We know, grow, go, and this is show. Okay, when we go, what do we do? When we go and we engage, let's call them, um, and we're going to call them this because... This is what the Bible calls them in the message. It calls them outsiders. 
Uh, 30 years ago, we would have called them infidels, which is just horribly insulting. Uh, we're just talking about people who don't really know the Lord yet. Some people call them pre-Christian. I have no idea. The people who are outside of the body of Jesus Christ. What do you do with them? What do you do with it? You know, over the course of history, the church quite often has it exactly backwards. Completely backwards. What's happened, particularly in the holiness movement, the holiest churches for the last several decades was we removed ourselves from the world because it was evil and bad. And we surrounded ourselves with the church because that was safe. And then when we saw come to the, some of the sin and these other things in the church, we, we sometimes just kind of closed a blind eye to it and said, well, that's all right, no big deal. Let me show you what the Bible says about that. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and it's in 1 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians isn't 1 Corinthians, it's at least 2 Corinthians. You knew that, right? This isn't his first letter to the church at Corinth. I'm going to show you that to you. We don't have his first letter. So 1 Corinthians could be 4 Corinthians for all we know. It's just the first one we have. That's why we call it 1 Corinthians. And he's trying to write to them because he'd already told them at an early letter, you know, you've got to stay away from immoral people. And everyone said, oh, good, then we don't have to hang out with, with all those sinful people. And he said, well, time out. Ship and harbor safe. That's not what it's for, is what he says. I wrote to you in my earlier letter. That's why we know this isn't the first letter. Okay. I wrote to you in my earlier letter that you should, shouldn't make yourselves at home among the sexually promiscuous. I didn't mean that you should have nothing at all to do with outsiders of that sort or with crooks, whether blue or white collar or with spiritual phony. For that matter, you'd, you'd have to leave the world entirely to do that. He said, when I, when I told you to, to leave all those, I didn't mean those people out there. You've got to go hang out with them. But I'm saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when one of your Christian companions is per- promiscuous or crooked, is flipped with God or rude to friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this, treating it as acceptable behavior. Now look at this. I'm about to set some of you free, and I'm about to make some of you really mad, but I didn't write this, so don't get mad at me. I'm not responsible for what outsiders do. I would love for you to write that down on a piece of paper and put it on your refrigerator. Particularly the next time some politician calls you and wants a little money because he's got some laws that he wants to, to pass. There may be a good point for laws, but it's not to force the people to do what God wants them to do because I'm not responsible for what outsiders do. But don't we have some responsibility for those within our community of believers? God decides on the outsiders. But we need to decide when our brothers and sisters are out of line and if necessary, clean house. Okay. This is what's happened. Somehow we got it backwards. Sometimes what, what's happened is we begin to overlook some of the sin and some of the things within the local church, but we want to judge and condemn all those bad people out there. We want to get out there and change everything they're doing, pass all the laws we can't get out there and force them to be good because they're sinners. Paul writes and says, you, you got it backwards. If we're going to clean house, it's here. This is the family. Just like any family, a healthy family should be able to sit down with a member of the family and say, you're messing up. How can we help you? 
you don't cut yourself off from the world and you don't condemn the world and you don't judge the world. You go out in the world and you shine for Jesus Christ. That's our job. So when we go, what is it that we show? Well, how about this? Ready? Let's do this. First, I go to demonstrate, not force. Hey, I go to demonstrate, not force. It's not my job to go into the world and force them to become Christian and force them to be good and force them to obey God. God doesn't force me to obey him. Where did I get the idea that somehow it's my job to force them to obey him? I go to demonstrate, not force. Take a look at this. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second-guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Wow. Get out there. And demonstrate what it means to be a Christ follower. There's power in that. Absolute power. As you go out into all of these places, whether it's the knitting circle or the bowling or the whatever it is, the motorcycle club, the, the work, wherever you are. There's power in just demonstrating a life that's really changed. And not trying to force it. I learned this actually, uh, and every pastor should do this from time Before you were a pastor, it would be nice to be a door-to-door salesman. I was a door-to-door salesman. As a teenager, I couldn't find a job. No, no fast food place would hire me. I, I, like, probably my hair. My hair was, yeah, I, I, I grew all my hair out as a teenager, so that's why I don't have any now. Um, so I, I turned into a door-to-door salesman. I, I, sold, I sold vacuums door-to-door, but my, the thing I did most was selling fuller brush door-to-door, and we've talked about that before. One of you even came and gave me a fuller brush. You had an old fuller brush. I've got it in my little memory cabinet. You, some of you are going, fuller brush? What are you talking about? But some of you are old enough to remember the time that the doorbell would ring, and there would be the fuller brush man with his little cart right there. And I was that guy. I was a teenager with my little cart. And uh, I, actually, um, I, had, I actually hired people for a little while. I was a senior, I think, in high school, and um, I hired them and paid them minimum wage, and they went out selling for me, and I took their commissions. It seemed normal at the time. Now I'm looking back going, what was I thinking? Did really well until I ran into things like, you know, withholding taxes and permits, stuff like that. It got in the way, so it went by the wayside. But I had one employee, one kid that actually, I don't know if you ever saw the old, you know, the, the, not the salesman, and, and you open the door, and you don't want any, so you close the door, and he sticks his foot in the door like that to stop it. He did that. I fired him. I said, you know, don't, don't force your way in. Because I knew it didn't work like that. I had one of my biggest sales as a fuller brush man, teen, whatever I was. Because I knocked on one door. Hi, fuller brush man. She said, I don't want anything. I don't want anything at all. Just go. I said, no, no problem. I walked away. I was at the next door giving a demonstration when this lady runs over. She says, you left. Yeah, you asked me to. I didn't expect you to leave. Let me see your catalog. Okay, she bought so much stuff, I couldn't even believe it. Because I didn't try to force it. I was just there. That's fuller brush, people. We've got a better product than fuller brush, all right? We've got eternal life in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to force it. 
Just got to offer it. Just got to demonstrate it. If you want to put it in, into the crass terms of um, sales, the product sells itself if you demonstrate it right. Okay? Just that simple. I go to demonstrate, not to... How about this? When I go out in the world, I go to invite, not judge. Think about this. Our Father did not judge us. He did not push us. He invited every single one of you at some point. He said, would you come with me? I'm sending you a personal invitation to walk with me. Why do we think when we go out there it should be any different? Sometimes we think we're going to be able to really win the world by telling the world how rotten it is. That probably didn't work with you and it doesn't work with the world. This is what Scripture says. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, and not cut them out. When I go out there, it isn't to tell them that they're sinners and they're going to hell. It rarely works. And most people who turn to the Lord because of that turn around and walk away because they do it out of fear, and then once they're no longer afraid, then they're gone. Instead, we go and we invite. Our Father has something for you. Our Father wants you to come and be part. Our Father has made it possible for you to know Him. And in that knowledge and that relationship, it can change your life. Not just now, but forever. Come join us. One more thing before we go on. I go to influence, not demand, okay? I'm not there to demand people change. I'm not there to demand people to know. I'm not there to demand anything. I'm there to influence just as Jesus was an influencer. Okay? This is what Scripture says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Okay. Again, we just influence We don't demand. We don't force. We don't push. We don't require. Somewhere along the line, the church got the idea that now that we have been invited and received this gracious invitation from our Father, that it's our job to be the hammer of God out there. We have now been set aside to go out there. And while we have graciously accepted that gracious invitation, now it's our job to go out there and hammer the people around us with the word of God and the truth of God and the demands of God and the laws of God. Where did we get that? We do for them exactly what was done for us. Somebody showed us love and mercy. We go show love and mercy. Someone invited us And we invite. We had the option to say no. So do they. Keep asking. But stop trying to force them. It just doesn't work.
This last week we were reminded here in Oregon, weren't we? Just how misguided it is to use the popular vote to embrace the values of God. The popular vote can come back and say, this is what we want. This lifestyle is wrong. But that doesn't mean that's the way it's going to be. And if you try to use and rely on the popular vote to enforce the values of God, you better wind up and accept that you're probably going to lose. Because we don't live in a society that embraces that. You can't force it. You can try. But that's never been our job. Our job is to invite. Our job is to demonstrate. Our job is to influence and to change the world one person at a time, not through edict. There are some laws that we need to pass that just protect our society. But they're passed for that reason. Not to force them to obey God. God doesn't do that. Neither does his church. Let's remember our job. Demonstrate. Invite. Influence. Last week I showed you this quote. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary, supposedly to St. Francis of Assisi. Well, of course, that's a great thing that says, you know, we, we need to live. That's the demonstration. But I've got to tell you, every now and then, ready? Here we go. As I go, I have to be ready to use words, okay? Sometimes you have to be ready to use words. It isn't just demonstrating. You should be prepared when you show to be able to tell. This is what Scripture says. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that you who speak malicious, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, okay, as we go and as we demonstrate and as we influence and as we invite, we have to be able to use some words. And I'll give you an example. It's a very hot, hot summer day. As a matter of fact, I just read on the internet that they think we're supposed to have our hottest summer around here since 2009 which is nothing. You don't, we don't know heat around here. We just think we know heat. But anyway, it's going to be hot, and there you are. You're downtown, and, and people are sweating, and it's hot, and you're walking around with this cold, cool drink. And someone walks up and says, man, that looks good. And you say, it is so refreshing. And not only that, it's free. And they say, where did you get that? And you say, I'm not going to tell you. what? Or you just walk away. Oh, you should, this is the coldest, clearest, most delicious thing I've ever had. See you later. What good did you do? Except make them more thirsty. You better be able to tell them where you got it. We call that a personal testimony. It means being able to tell somebody where you got the cold, cool drink of water that we call eternal life in the name of Jesus. And if you don't know how to tell them, you can demonstrate, but you're just going to make them more thirsty. You didn't help them. I want to show you this. Three parts of a personal testimony. What I was before, then I decided to follow Jesus. There's the difference he's made. Okay? Simple. 
Real simple. As a matter of fact, next week, I mean next month, I'm teaching a class. Our 401 class is all about this. We're going to teach you how to do this. You get an opportunity to actually write a very small person. This is what I was before. You talk with somebody and you find out that they're very anxious and nervous. And you go, man, I used to be that way. I was just like that. But then I became a Christ follower or, or, or I decided to follow Jesus Christ. And now let me tell you the difference that he's made. What I was before, then I met the difference that he's made. As a matter of fact, we're going to demonstrate it right now. James McMillan, my good friend, come on up here. James McMillan, who, by the way, with his wife Kelly, are also involved right now in in planning and hoping to start our brand new Celebrate Recovery program, which we would love. It's a restart of our program. We've done it. We did it for a couple of years. We'd like to restart, hopefully, this fall. James and Kelly are right now involved in the leadership. He wants to share his personal testimony as if it was a Celebrate Recovery Day. So go ahead, my friend. You need a microphone right here. Otherwise, you have to speak into my cheek, and that's not good. Guarantee that ain't Good morning, church. My name is James McMillan. I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and he is my Lord and Savior. It's amazing how God works. For a better part of my life, events on this day made it one of the hardest days of the year for me to get through. As today is the Indianapolis 500 and the Coca-Cola 600. I would never have pictured me doing this on this day. You will hear why. I know that don't make a whole lot of sense yet. Today I would like to give a testimony of my life and how becoming a believer in Christ and letting him have my life and having faith and going through Celebrate Recovery changed my life. I would like to start with a scripture, Matthew 6, 24, of the Celebrate Recovery Bible. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When I was young, I thought I had my whole life figured out. I was racing professionally at the age of 14, I had many sponsors and a paycheck from these sponsors. I was either going to Indianapolis or NASCAR. Growing up, I had my dad, two brothers, one sister, and a stepmom. Other than my stepmom, the rest of my family were either drunks, drug addicts, or both. I did not want to be like them. I only met my mom once, a week before she died. I left her. Sorry. My stepmom constantly tried to get me to go to church and to believe in Christ. She told me that without Christ in my life, money, fame, and fortune amounted to nothing. And that someday I would have wished that I would have listened to her. She would be right. Instead, I resented her and thought she was evil for trying to interfere in my life. I later, later learned that because of her beliefs in Christ was the reason I had clothes, food, schooling. Thank you. I love you, Terry. 
sorry, this ain't easy. Uh-huh. I literally laying. <clears throat> my dad was an alcoholic and abusive. Many times I slept in the bushes or in the neighbor's yards as not to get beaten when he came home drunk. I did not know at the time none of the four children were his. He raised us anyways. He gave up his passion for racing to raise us. Thanks, Dad. I love you. By the time I was 14, my dad had quit drinking and was an inspirational part of my racing career as he had raced in the Indianapolis 500 and in NASCAR. By the time I was 19, I was racing midget, sprint cars, and off-road buggies with three championships and signing a contract to drive stock cars. For Ford Motor Company, I thought I had made it. At the end of that season, I found out how right my stepmom was. I had a I had a racing accident that would not only end my career, but nearly take my life. I broke my lower back in three places, fractured two vertebrae in my neck, broke ribs, my right hand and my foot, and nearly cut me in two at the waist. It took three years to recover. And I was out of money, only a high school diploma, and no way to work. My family all moved away and would not help me. I was homeless. On the streets, I became addicted to drugs and alcohol. I lived homeless more than I had a roof over my head. I tried to commit suicide a couple of times, as without racing, there was no living. In 1997, I had a choice to make. Either go to Las Vegas, and who knows what would happen, or go on a blind date with my now loving, caring <laughs> wife, Kelly. Kelly and I got married on March 14, 1998, but on our honeymoon, I got sick. After a couple of days, Kelly took me to the emergency hospital. I heard the doctor tell Kelly, go home, make funeral arrangements that I would not make it through the night. I was too far gone. My liver, pancreas, kidneys, and lungs had shut down. When I heard this, I asked God, please don't let me go. I finally had someone to live for. And something that I could live for. And if there was anything that I could do, please let me do it. When the doctor came in the next day, he told me I had better thank God every day, as it was only a miracle that I had lived. Hmm. After 11 days, I went home from the hospital, but I had the mentality of a three-year-old. I would have to learn to speak, read, write, learn everything I had learned all over again. It took me years to recover, but I had the best support a person could want. Thank you, Kel. After my recovery, I thought I would 
be happy. But something was missing. I was miserable and depressed. Although I had a good job, money, beautiful home, loving wife, and multiple cars, one day I called my brother, who was now a believer in Christ, and asked him what to do. He told me to read the Bible, pray to God, talk to God, and that if I had to listen, that God would give me my answers and directions. Don't I wish I would have done this 30 years ago when my stepmom told me. God spoke to me and led Kelly and I and our dog to North Carolina. We didn't know why we went on faith, as we had never been there. But it was away from my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Mm. We went on faith. We had little money, no jobs, and no housing set up. We lived in a tent for three weeks. It rained every day. God led us to a man who wanted to trade labor for letting us live in his house on Lake Norman. In North Carolina, Kelly and I became members of a church. And at the church, we helped start Celebrate Recovery and went through the 12 steps where I was able to recover from my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I became a leader of a small group, then the leader of the leadership ministry. When I was going through... The Celebrate Recovery, it started as an addiction from alcohol and drugs. But as I went through the my hurts, habits, and hang-ups, it was deeper. I hated everyone, everything, including myself, for my life, which caused the habits. After two years, Kelly and I were helping raise three boys. who were living in an abusive household. I was given my testimony at churches, homeless shelters, and donating time at the North Carolina Child Abuse Prevention Center. One day, the pastor asked me to take a ride and to go give my testimony. I did not know where we were going. As we pulled up to Penske Racing, the home of an IndyCar and NASCAR team, I asked the pastor why. Why these people? They got their dreams of making it. After praying, I gave my testimony. There in the three other race shops. Little did I know, none of these people's dreams come true. They all went there to be the driver, hmm. not to work on the car for somebody else to drive. In total... 26 men and women asked to receive Christ in their life and got involved with Celebrate Recovery to get past their hurts, habits, and hang-ups of not making it there as drivers. On the way home, the pastor asked me how it felt to make it to NASCAR. It's God's will, not mine. Hmm. I cried. It was one of the best of the days of my life. I finally knew why God let me live. Although I have come across other hurts and hang-ups, such as losing my dad, not being able to support my wife right now because I go into seizures without warning, I am able to turn everything over to God Thanks. through the serenity prayer, hmm. celebrate recovery with the support of my church family, 
my very loving wife, Kelly. No enemies formed against me can prosper now. I believe celebrate recovery is for every person alive. Everyone has a hurt or a habit or a hang-up that is keeping them from their potential of serving Jesus. I am looking forward to being part of Celebrate Recovery here at Sterling First Free Church and through Jesus helping people of all ages through their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Please join us. I would like to close with the scripture, James 5.13 of the Celebrate Recovery Bible. Are any of you among you suffering? You should keep on praying about it. And those who have reason to be thankful should continually sing praises to the Lord. Thank you and God bless. Amen. Well done. Well, that's all right. We'll get him. There you go. Got to be able to use words. Now, not everybody's going to be able to stand up in front of the church like this and be able to, to read a testimony. Many of you will be asked to give your testimony and celebrate recovery as we begin this program because it's very important to have people hear this and have faith and hope to hear what happened and what he was like before, even though he thought he was going to be successful, then he wasn't. Then he faced all that pain and the misery through depression and drugs, and finally through his wonderful wife and commitments, he made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that he's physically healed. He's not. I mean, he made it through that night, but he still has other issues. Except now he faces them not with depression and alcohol, he faces them with faith in Jesus Christ, and that's what the difference makes. Thank you, James. A couple more things and we're done. It's great to know words. It's great to use words. You have to learn how to do that. I'll teach you how to do that. Teach you how to do it whether you have one minute or you have three or four or five minutes. That's the class that's coming up. But we need to remember this. To be an effective witness, my actions have to match my words. That's what we're really talking about here. To demonstrate. And I'm going to just ask you. This may seem blunt, but probably okay. If your actions do not match your words, please shut up. You just hurt the kingdom. Trust You just hurt us so badly. I'd rather you didn't say anything until your actions are in line with what you say. Because your words mean nothing. They look at your life and your actions. This is what Scripture says. Dear friends... Do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate a person really has it? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I love that. God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. That's another thing you better be writing down and put on your refrigerator. God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, work and faith, they fit together, hand in glove, words and actions, actions and words. But actions speak louder than words. And the actions come first. Because it comes down to this as we close. 
This is the scripture. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We do go. We're supposed to. And we will. In just a few moments, we're going to go. And this week, you're going to be going lots of places. What are you going to show? Now, if there's no real change in your life, then you can't show them anything and you don't have anything to really say yet. Our vision, what we want to see happen. Our mission, what we want to do. Our purpose, the reason we're here. Is to allow God to change us in such a way that we can go out there and demonstrate to people the difference it makes. And then be ready when they say, where did you get that tall, cold, cool, delicious cup of eternal life that's changed your life? You can say, I got it from a man named Jesus. Let me introduce you. We're going to take a few moments now, what we call Selah. Selah is um, our time to stop and think about it. And with those who are going to help me with Selah, would you come forward, please? There we go. And this is also a very special Sunday because not only do, um, do we celebrate this great weekend and the beginning of summer, this is also what we call Memorial Day. And this is, as you've already heard from the children's department, a memorial. A reminder. See, this great stuff that God does for us, those changes that he was able to make in, in James' life, the changes he makes in our life, are made because of Jesus Christ and because of what he's done. And not only do we thank him, but we also remember. So this morning, as uh, the music plays, the altars are open if you'd like to come and pray. And Jack DeMarco is a great man of prayer if you want him to pray over you. The communion elements are available. Maybe it's just time to think about what we do when we go out there. Are we really showing a life that's changed? And if not, then Father, change me and let me go show it. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. In the same manner after supper, he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood shed for forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. For as often as you do eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do remember the Lord's death till he comes again. And Jesus, we remember. We thank, we thank you for all those men and women who were willing to give their lives for our freedom, but it would mean nothing if it wasn't for your willingness to give your life for our ultimate freedom. And we are grateful. Thank you, Lord.